0: If those reasons stretch outside of the money, outside of the equity, then I might consider it. So is the juice worth the squeeze? I guess that's the question here, Samantha. There's going to be a lot of squeezing to get that juice. And once you have that juice, are you happier because of it? show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids & Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill. And today we're going to do three things. First, we'll be answering a question from the Marriage, Kids & Money community about if selling your house right now to take advantage of the seller's market is a good idea. Second, we are back with our debt-free segment. This quarter, we'll be featuring Kristen from Pennsylvania. She and her husband, Brian, recently became debt-free and found that debt freedom may have just saved their marriage. She's going to share with us why. And last but not least, my son, Calvin, will be joining me for another good word. With all the rough news out there lately, Calvin and I are going to share some good news for all of you to enjoy. All right, let's jump into today's show. I received a question from Samantha via voicemail, and here it is.
1: Hey, Andy. First of all, my husband and I love your podcast as your content really speaks to us as we align with your financial goals and strategies. I wanted to ask your opinion on what you would do in this situation, Our family, which includes my husband, myself, and our three-year-old son live in Charlotte, North Carolina in a very desired area. We purchased our house three years ago for $415,000 and can list it today for $700,000. We still owe $300,000 on our home, but are considering selling our home due to the amount of equity we would have. This would allow us to downsize from our over 3,000 square foot home and invest some of the money as well. If we stay in our home, there are a lot of major repairs that would need to be done, which would total close to $100,000. Those repairs eat into our monthly savings. My husband works from home now and will continue to, and I am a stay-at-home mom to our three-year-old. We could move anywhere, really. Thanks again for your help and all of your great inspiring content, Samantha.
0: Samantha, thank you so much for connecting with me on voicemail. Hey, if you have a question like Samantha, you can do that on voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. That's as simple as that. Now, Samantha, this is an interesting question for sure. And it's definitely one that I think is on a lot of people's minds right now. You know, a home bought even a few years ago in this country, on average, is a whole lot more than it used to be. We bought our place in 2013 for $350,000. And now the all-knowing, all-powerful, and great Zillow says that we might be able to sell it for around $550,000. So that's up 200 thousand dollar jump in, what is that, nine years, your example is even more impressive from 400000 to 700000 in just three years. Man, you got to love that uh, North Carolina market for sure. Now, I can agree that it's definitely an intriguing idea to tap into that equity to accomplish other family financial goals. But since you asked what I would do, I always like to run the pros and cons of a decision like this before jumping into it. So that's what I'm going to do today for you, Samantha. I'm going to go through some pros and cons of downsizing. You know, it sounds like that's what you're interested in doing, downsizing and maybe selling this house and taking advantage of that equity. So I hope this helps. Pro number one, less housework. As a homeowner, housework fills many, many hours of my day and my week, cleaning, vacuuming, yard work, raking, weeding, shoveling, snow, bagging, lawn stuff, you know, all that stuff. Now, there's no dodging housework when you're a homeowner, but when you downsize there may be a lot less of it for you to do. My parents gave me a good example of this recently in the last, I think they moved five years ago. They downsized from a 3,200 square foot house to a 1,300 square foot house. The yard work and housework has gone down significantly for them. They spend less time keeping the house up and landscaping it and more time relaxing exercising, volunteering, and spending time with their family. Con number one, less space. Now, this really could be a pro or a con, depending on what your goals are, really, Samantha. But one thing my parents mentioned is that they would prefer a little more space for hosting at the house. So I guess that begs the question, how much square footage is the right amount for a family of three? After reading through a few different blogs and articles, the range that I found is anywhere between 500 and 700 square feet per person. So depending on your lifestyle and your needs and the fact that your husband works from home, you said, you may want to find a house in the 1500 to 2100 square foot range. Now, if another child is in your future, consider something in the 2,000 to 2,800 square foot range. That way you guys can live there throughout their entire childhoods and just make it your home. Knowing that top range of 2,800 is not too far away from your current square footage, perhaps the lower side makes even more sense for you. We have a family of four, and our house is around 2,700 square feet, and it feels like the right size for us right now. But for fun, let's recap, just so everybody (laughs) has this information out there. Again, it's all personal and it might not fit for you, but I thought these ranges were kind of interesting. So a family of two, maybe 1,000 to 1,400 square feet. A family of three, 1,500 to 2,100 square feet. A family of four, 2,000 to 2,800 square feet. A family of five, 2,500 to 3,500 square feet. And then a family of six, 3,000 to 4,200 square feet. And I think that's an interesting thing. Just like home ownership and and like personal finance, it's all personal. So these square feet ranges are all well and good, but if it doesn't fit your situation, then forget these numbers altogether. Anyway, I thought it was interesting. All right, pro number two, access to equity. I think this is the crux of what you are getting at here, Samantha. Getting access to hundreds of thousands of dollars is a huge upside to downsizing your home. You could use this extra money for so many things. Like you said, investing for the future, paying off debt, giving back, going on family vacations, or even making your new house better, making it more comfortable, These options can be so plentiful that I would recommend taking the time to sit down and specifically write down what you'd want to do with that money and then ask your partner to do the same thing. While this potential windfall might seem like a blessing, if you two aren't on the same page, then it could cause some unintentional marital fights. It's funny, the lack of money cause fights, and also the surplus of money can cause marital fights. I've been there. (laughs) Con number two, selling a house is expensive. While on the surface, the quick math problem looks like the sale price will be $700,000 minus the current home mortgage principal of $300,000, and that would net you $400,000. Unfortunately, that won't be the final mount you'll walk away with, in my opinion. You'll want to crunch some numbers on the important costs that go along with selling your house. And thanks to bankrate.com, which I'll put a link in the show notes, everybody, they provided these great helpful numbers or just categories in general of what you might expect when you sell a house. One of the top ones is real estate commissions, which can be up to about 6% of the sale price of your home. So if we're talking a $700,000 home, that's $42,000 if my math is correct there. So that's a lot of money. Title insurance. They say that typically a percentage of the purchase price, which is around 1%, they say. So that could be $7,000. And then repairs to your house. You mentioned that this could be upwards of $100,000. Maybe you wouldn't want to spend all of that to get the house ready for sale, but man, I don't know. What is that? Half of that? A quarter of that? You got escrow fees. You got property taxes. You got moving costs. You got attorney fees. You got transfer taxes. Maybe you want to stage the home to sell it. There might be some seller concessions. You know, pre-listing home inspection, and the list goes on and on and on. So at the end of the day, consider that potentially a hundred thousand or more of this four hundred thousand might go away with just the general costs of selling a home. Pro number three, owning a smaller home is less expensive. While I've almost talked myself out of this downsizing idea (laughs) because of the cost to sell the thing, it's important to note one of your original complaints. It's expensive to maintain this larger 3,000-square-foot home that you're in, right? When you own a smaller home, you'll potentially have fewer things to fix, fewer upgrades to make, and fewer costs to incur. Now, this all depends on the home that you would downsize to, but the goal is small home, smaller problems, right? To put some math around this idea, a general rule of thumb is to save up 1% to 4% of your home's value each year for home maintenance, for that $700,000 home you guys have, that's $7,000 to $2,800 per year. Now, after a few years of not updating your home, just like our family hasn't updated our home in a while, maybe that'll make that number creep up to $100,000 fast, which you've probably found, Samantha. Now, let's say you found a $300,000 to $400,000 home that you were able to buy outright with no mortgage, mortgage-free guy talking here. <laughs> then you'd be looking at, to $16,000 per year instead. So that's a lot less per year to have. And it actually just sounds a little bit more comfortable to me. Con number three, you have to buy another home. Okay, let's say you decide to sell your house and you get a few hundred thousand dollars back. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty sweet, right? Now it's time for the next step where are you going to live now, right? That can be an exciting decision, but it can also be a stressful one. In my 18 years as a homeowner, this feels like the craziest time I've ever seen to buy a home. Now, that's just my outsider looking in opinion. I haven't bought a home in a long time, but I've got real estate agent friends discussing the crazy bidding wars that they've seen offers of a hundred thousand dollars over asking and people settling for a home they maybe aren't thrilled with because they just need somewhere to live now if you decide to leave north carolina altogether and find somewhere quieter and less competitive or the charlotte area for that matter that's probably a different story but if you decide to stay in in the ultra-competitive market that increased your home by $300,000 in just three years, then be ready for an ultra-competitive home purchase on the other side. Now, those are my pros and cons, everybody. After weighing these pros and cons, if it were me, I wouldn't sell my home right now just for the equity that it could bring my family. If those reasons stretch outside of the money, outside of the equity, then I might consider it. So is the juice worth the squeeze? I guess that's the question here, Samantha. There's gonna be a lot of squeezing to get that juice. And once you have that juice, (laughs) are you happier because of it? This isn't an easy decision, and luckily you don't have to make it alone. Good luck to you and your husband, and whatever you do, do it together, and support each other along the way. Well enough from me everyone, I want to hear from you. Are you considering selling your home in this market to tap into some equity? What do you think are the pros and cons of downsizing your home? Please hit me up on social media by sharing this episode and sharing your thoughts, and then tagging me at Andy Hill MKM on Twitter or at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram. And if you have questions like Samantha, as I mentioned at the top of the show, please leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com/slash voicemail. I love hearing questions like this. Either way, if you got comments or questions, it'd be great to hear from you. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up, the code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello. Thanks for taking the time to consider our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into the show. For some people like me, debt can feel like an incredible weight on your shoulders. After carrying that weight for a while, there comes a time when you say, I'm done with this. On our debt-free segment today, we're going to interview Kristen Stones from Pennsylvania. Kristen and her husband, Brian, became debt-free after paying off over $50,000 of debt in less than two years. Today, we're going to learn how they accomplished this family financial goal and what they're doing with their money now. Welcome to the show, Kristen.
2: Kristen. Hi, Andy. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. It's great to see you. We met each other at a conference a few years ago, so I'm glad we could uh, bring this friendship together on the podcast today. So talk to us about why you wanted to become debt-free in the first place, Kristen.
2: I will try to keep this brief. I always tend to just go off a tangent on this topic because I love talking about this. So I'm excited to share with you and your audience. Obviously, all of the typical reasons, right? We were short on funds. We were sick of having to give pretty much all of our income away. I was sick of not just being able to live the way we wanted to live and be able to do things with our family, our friends, our children. But if I'm being really honest, the number one reason was that our debt and the state of our finances as a whole was completely ruining our marriage. That was pretty much the main catalyst of why we finally really took action at the time that we did.
0: So it was causing a lot of arguments on debt and things like that?
2: It was just a constant state of stress, money stress. And as you know, that has a way of permeating into every single part of your life. And I think both my husband and I felt like we were kind of in this constant fight or flight mode. Again, of course, no marriage is perfect, but it was very clear that the, the main cause of all of the issues were our finances.
0: Well, what type of debt did you guys have together at that point?
2: At that point we had two car loans. I had already paid off my student loans a couple years prior to that. We had some credit card debt, maybe maybe about 5,000ish. And then we also had a small business on the side that was also accumulating credit card debt faster than it could it could pay it off. And at the time, we weren't necessarily counting that as part of our debt because the revenue was making the credit card payments. There wasn't anything left over for for profit, but we didn't have to make those payments from our personal money. So at the time, we weren't counting that but after we paid off our debt the first time, we then came back and, and paid that off. And that was about an additional almost $20,000. So that, that's what brought us up to just over 50.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. And especially with the business, now that I've been doing this full-time business thing for a few years now, I get carried away with the, well, that's a deductible expense. I'll just put that on the business. And then it's like, well, I still need to make enough money to take care of those expenses. So I've definitely gotten myself caught in that trap for sure. So what steps did you guys take to become debt-free from there? Once you decided, hey, this is something that's affecting our marriage and here's how much we've got. What did you guys do after that to become debt-free?
2: The main thing was really learning how to finally live on a budget. And I know I know that sounds cliche because I feel like everybody starts there, but that's a pretty good clue that it really is the best starting place. And I was familiar. I'm the one that manages our finances. My husband, he's I always say I'm a super nerd. I love the spreadsheets. I love the organization. And he couldn't really care less. So I was aware of what was coming, what was going ish, right? I knew what we owed ish, but I never had really laid it all out there and, and had a good, clear picture of where we were starting. And I think it's really difficult to, Formulate a plan and know know where you want to go until you're very clear on on where you're at. So that was really the first thing, and and with that, that allowed us to finally set up a realistic budget instead of an idealistic budget. Then we were really able to get a better understanding of where our money was going. And once you know where it's going, then you're much more able to rearrange things and move some things around and and make some changes and then we were finally able to come up with a little bit of extra money each month to start putting on our debt and it was really just chipping away at it little by little by little
0: I love that and so you said the realistic budget i think that's a really good point to kind of dive into a little bit were there times where you guys made the budget and you're like well this will do it we'll pay this thing off right away and then more fights happened
2: along the way of course i mean it's de- it was definitely a work in progress i mean we had tried to budget and and pay off debt for years and years and years probably since we we started dating and got engaged if i'm being honest and time after time we failed because it wasn't a realistic budget right we were working off that idealistic budget we thought oh if we say we're only going to spend $400 on food, then we're only going to spend $400 on food, but we know it doesn't really work that way. So it was definitely a lot of reviewing, revising. It was a lot of really digging into our spending habits and just getting honest with ourselves. Because Every time I share my story, I like to explain that we didn't drive fancy cars. We didn't live in super nice, expensive homes and we made okay money, but it was just that day to day, those nickel and dime expenses, daily energy drinks for my husband, the weekly trips to Target for me. And it wasn't even that we were out there shopping and and spending all our money on stuff we didn't need. It was just justifying things as needs, and then telling ourselves that it was okay that we spent all that because we needed it, right?
0: And it sounds like it was for a season too. It's like, hey, we're not going to get rid of Target shopping forever or the energy drink thing every day. But for a season, let's try to do this together. So talk to us about one of those things that you did then within that budget Did you guys increase your income? Did you decrease your expenses? It sounds like you were looking at the budget pretty well and trying to make it realistic, but what did you do to make that progress over two years? It sounds like you guys paid us all off. So talk to us about that.
2: Right before we started this, right before we had what I always say is our come to Jesus moment. And it was kind of this talk, very tense (laughs) talk, sitting across from each other at the dining room table. And for the first time in our marriage, I think we were probably married 15 years at this time. We're going back maybe around four or five years now. And for the first time ever, my husband mentioned the word divorce. And we had never we always kind of had a rule that we don't ever just throw that word around. You know, if that word's used, we, we mean business. And that, that just shook me and we both knew that was it. So at the time I had been home with my children, which was always my dream and we couldn't afford it. So when we had that come to Jesus moment, I said, that's it. I have to go back to work. And my husband has a very strange schedule. So it's, it's difficult for me to get a job that works with his schedule with the kids and not you know, having to pay for daycare. So I did, I immediately went back, I found a good part-time job, but it was only part-time. I was maybe only bringing in about $800 a month, but $800 extra a month. Well, when you look at it over the course of the year, it's a very small amount of money, but when you look at it in, in this through the scope of what can I do with an extra $800, you can make a big impact. So that really, really helped us. That, that is what allowed us to start finally having some extra to put towards our debt because before I got that job, we had to put our last weeks of expenses on a credit card every single month because we were constantly trying to bridge that gap between our income and our expenses. So with budgeting and really paying attention to our spending and cutting back, we were able to lessen that gap. And then with my extra part-time hours, we were also able to close in a little bit more. I did some extra stuff, you know, selling some things around the house and listing the clothes on Facebook marketplace, you know, just little things like that. And it did, it does help every little bit does help. But the biggest, the biggest thing was me going back to work and my husband also picking up whatever overtime shifts he could do. That also really helped a lot. Lot when it came time to make those debt payments. And the last thing I want to say about that is along the way, we had quite a few blessings. We had a couple of of windfalls, if you will, that, that kind of came through along this process. And things like my husband's veteran's disability that we had been waiting on for, I think, like four years, randomly, without warning, came through and we uh, a check for five grand showed up in our mailbox. A, a similar situation with his back pay for his job that had been almost a year Backdated that was owed to him. So, things like that. I know that's not typical, but I really felt that once we started paying attention and putting in the work and really trying to be good stewards with what we had, then I feel like God kind of stepped in and was like, All right, cool. You're not going to blow all this money. You're actually going to do something good with it. So, I'm going to let this stuff come through now. And that was a huge help, or we never would have finished in 20 months. No way.
0: I love that. Yeah, you guys put yourself in a position to be good stewards of the money, as you said, and put it to good use. And it sounds like it made a big difference together there. I really like your point on, you know, looking at the budget and finding what's realistic, but yeah, you can only cut so much when money's tight or you have a tough getting by, you got to make the money. And it sounds like you and your husband were able to increase your income just to give people a general income range during that time. What were you guys bringing in just to help people understand this feat you guys did?
2: I think my husband was making around the 60, maybe 65 mark. So he's over average, but he does not make a huge income. And again, I, I was working, but it was only part time. It was not, it wasn't a ton extra.
0: Hey, another 10 grand, whatever, 15 grand, whatever ended up being helped you guys push along and get this debt paid off. That is incredible. So talk to us about after you guys paid it off. Was this a big moment for you? Did this help with your marriage? Talk to us about that a little bit.
2: Huge! It was it was a huge help. I mean, it's night and day. And of course, again, no marriage is perfect. You know, you're always on that roller coaster. We always have stuff coming up. But my husband and I got engaged like five seconds after we met, and immediately started saving for a wedding. So we have never known a relationship or a marriage without financial stress, and we still have financial stress. I mean, we are still living almost solely on his income at this point. I did. I don't do that part-time job anymore. I have my business, but it has really taken quite a hit since everything happened with the pandemic. So it's been, I haven't really taken, been taking any money out of that. So we still have, you know, a very, a pretty tight budget, but there's definitely a little more margin than there was before. Now we have an emergency fund. Now we have a bunch of sinking funds that are fully stocked. And of course, we still have financial stress. We're going on a huge family vacation in a few months. And I'm I'm thinking, Oh, are we going to be able to save enough money? Are we going to be able to put enough aside? There's, going to be financial stress for us for a while. We're also older and we're really kind of behind the curve when it comes to me saving for retirement. So that's always stressing me out. We have two kids and didn't really prepare for their college at all. That's stressful. But the day to day, Andy, is it's completely different. It's life feels more purposeful. We are able to spend our money more intentionally. We are able to plan things out and prepare for things, which is such a huge blessing because all of those unexpected expenses, all of those emergencies, whether they were actual real emergencies or just the ones that felt like emergencies, that's it. I mean, it would throw us off for two, three months, we would be so frustrated, so angry with one another. We would blame each other. I would feel guilty because I wasn't bringing in enough money. He didn't like his job. I would feel bad when he went to it. It was just a mess. Yeah, I, I really can't complain, especially going through everything that this whole world has gone through financially the past couple of years. I am incredibly grateful that you know, something kicked us in the butt and and made us finally make the commitment to improve our finances when we did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. Debt freedom or a lot of these big conversations that we have, it doesn't eliminate any stresses in our lives permanently. But man, it makes the day to day a lot more bearable. Let's talk to the person who's listening, that is thinking, you know what, I've got a spouse, and I really want them to get on board with paying off our debt, but they just do not care. And I can't get them to have these conversations. What would you say to that person?
2: I know, that's a hard one. I hear this almost daily from people and... The first thing is just understand that you can't control your spouse, your partner, your significant other. And more often than not, the more we nag and the more we complain to them or try to force them to see things our way or, you know, try to pull them over to the dark side or or I guess it would be the (laughs) the 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 dark side. (laughs) Yeah, I think it often just makes them almost dig their heels in even more kind of like if you think about when you're dealing with your. Teenager, your child. I don't. I know your kids aren't quite teenagers yet, yeah, but the more you tell them what you want them to do and what's good for them and what what's going to help them and make things better and easier the more they're like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to do what I want to do even more. And I'm not calling my husband a child. Yes, I am. But, uh, (laughs) you know, sometimes our spouses, men or women, we're kind of the same way. We don't want to be bossed around. We want to come to these conclusions on our own. So I think not nagging is really the huge thing. I really like to tell people to take some time and dream together as a couple, as a family, and make sure that you're Trying to really hear them, really understand what it is that they want, and then you can kind of nicely manipulate them by showing them, hey, if we can do this, not only can we reach this goal, this goal, this goal, but then we can also make your dreams come true, like their personal dreams, right? Maybe they want to be able to go golfing every single weekend. Maybe they need new golf clubs, right? And when you're sound financially, they can maybe... Start thinking about it differently when when they can see how it could also benefit them selfishly. Right. I mean, we're all we all want to do what we want to do. And I think just just calmly and consistently explaining to them how it can improve your day-to-day life and how it can make things better and how it can actually offer you and your partner more freedom. Because I find a lot of people are just scared of being restricted and scared of being controlled by whether it's by their spouse or a budget. And it's just, it's just, that does not need to be the case. And I think lastly, just lead by example, if they don't want to do it, just do it on your own you know, obviously we know there's power in numbers and you can, you can make a lot more progress as a team, but if they refuse, that's it. You know what you, you know, what needs to be done and just get to work, do the best you can. And hopefully they'll start to see some of the positive changes and pay a little more attention and and eventually kind of join forces with you and you guys can really attack your debt together.
0: I think this is great advice. Lead by example, be empathetic with them on their situation, maybe what their goals and dreams are and have some open communication. Kristen, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. If people want to connect with you and learn more about what's going on in your world, where can they do that?
2: Andy, thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. You can find me all over the interwebs pretty much at senseandpurpose.com. And that's sense with a C. That's my website. Sorry, my website is senseandpurpose.com. And then my handle all over the social medias is senseandpurpose.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Kristen and I have been connected for, I'd say a couple of years now, since we met a few years ago. And I love following her on Instagram and seeing what's going on in her world. So I would suggest doing the same, everybody. Kristen, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Take care.
0: Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do me a quick favor. Please share your favorite Marriage, Kids, and Money episode on social media and tag your friend Andy at Andy HillMKM on Twitter and Facebook or at Marriage, Kids, and Money on Instagram. I'm doing my best, people, to put out some positive. Helpful work out there into the world. And your support in sharing that on social media means a lot to me. So thank you. And to encourage you to share these episodes, we're going to give away free Marriage Kids and Money merchandise each month going forward. That is right. Carpe DM t shirts, Marriage Kids and Money mugs, and Be the Change hoodies. Jacqueline from last week really likes her bead the chain shirt. Just throwing that out there, everybody. Speaking of promoting positive work and sharing good news, recently I found this news story and it's entitled Guy Returns Lost Ring to Honeymoon Couple with Lego Metal Detector Toy. Hmm. And to help me read the article and share the good word once again, I'm happy to be joined by my son Calvin Hill. What's going on, buddy?
3: I don't know what to say when people say that.
0: Like what's going on? Like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of a weird question. What's going on? I mean, I don't know. What is going on, right? I'm sitting. You're sitting. That is what's going on, right? How about this? How are you feeling today, Calvin? Good. (laughs) That's good. That's probably a better question. Hey, you only got like a week and a half of school left. What do you think about that? Cool. You think that's cool? Awesome, man. Well, I'm excited for you to enjoy some summer. You only have six more days. He's kind of smiling like crazy right now. You guys can't see it. Anyway, let's jump into this story. Sound good? Yeah. Awesome. All right, here we go. 44-year-old groom Richard Wetter and his bride Anne arrived on the island of Jersey for their honeymoon last month, but Richard lost his wedding ring during a romantic stroll in Portalette Bay two days later.
3: He says he took off his ring to go swimming and put it by his shoe. Unfortunately, as a newlywed, he wasn't used to owning such an item and forgot to put it back on.
0: It was only when he got back to the car that he realized it was missing. The couple traveled back to their hotel and told a porter who immediately contacted local metal detectorist Steve Andrews. Still, they thought the ring had been lost forever.
3: For Steve, it took only 10 minutes to find the lost item. Steve Marx's finds with a special picture of a Lego man. In fact, It's a mini replica of himself, complete with matching clothes and a little metal detector.
0: Yeah, there's a little cool picture I'm showing Calvin right now. So that's Steve right there. (laughs) Anyway, here we go. He never charges for his work. The thing I enjoy most about detecting is reuniting people with their items, he says. I was delighted to find the ring. It was one of the quickest I've ever completed. The Lego man is just a nice thing to send to people. I find their item and take a photo of a sort. I got it as a jokey president for my sister and it just stuck.
3: Richard, who lives in Bristol, said, I'm really grateful for Steve. What could have been an absolute disaster turned into a valuable lesson learned with An amusing edge.
0: Awesome. Okay, well, that's a fun story. So a guy helps uh, a new married couple find their ring after they lose it, and he does it for free. That's kind of cool, right? What do you think of this man, Steve, who finds things for people for free? What do you think of that?
3: I think it's very nice, and he doesn't get charged.
0: Yeah. So he just does it out of the goodness of his heart. It's kind of like, you know, when you and I were reading that book in bed the other day, Do Something for Nothing from Joshua Coombs, how he gives haircuts for free, right? And he doesn't ask for any money. Do you think that's something that you and I should do sometimes? Maybe just do something nice for people for free? Yeah. Yeah. If you had to think of all your special talents and things that you have in your life, what do you think that you could do? For people for free, buddy.
3: I think I would be a scientist. Mm-hmm. And I would make a machine that could make $100 bills whenever you press a button. And then it just comes out. And then I could, whenever I see a poor person. Uh-huh. I could like give it to them. Oh,
0: that's so nice. I love that. I feel like that's your combination of your engineering ideas and like Mr. Beast. Like it's kind of like a combination, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, because Mr. Beast likes to give away money too. I love that, buddy. Well, thank you for reading the story with me. It means a lot to me and I love sharing the good word with you and other people. I'm going to give you $3 for participating in the good word. I'm going to throw it in your bank account. Does that sound good? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. Well, why don't we read this social shout out for the month? We're going to give away some merch and some swag to somebody who supported our family show. Does that sound good? Mm -hmm. Okay. So since last time we did the good word, we received four social shout outs. So this is people, four people went on the internet and said, we love this show. And then here's an episode you should listen to. Isn't that nice of people to do that? So let's pick A number between one and four, and we can use our electronic friend here.
3: Alexa, pick a number between one and four. Here's a number between one and four. It's four.
0: Awesome. Well, our fourth social shout out that we received was from Shaylee Miller, and she shared our latest episode together when we talked about the nine-year-old who gave away his money from the lemonade stand to the cats. Do you remember that one? Mm -hmm. So anyway, this is what she said. Can you read this?
3: Needed this today because I started out completely unmotivated. Thank you, Calvin.
0: Awesome. Well, she's thanking you for reading that lemonade story last week. Anyway, Shay Lee, thank you for the shout-out. We really appreciate it. I'm gonna email you back with our thanks and an offer of the piece of merch from the Marriage Kids and Money store. You can get a t-shirt, you can get a sweatshirt, coffee mug, anything. You're gonna you're gonna like it. I swear. I will send you a link after this show goes live and you can and you can wear it and support the show, and also it's just really comfortable. And if you want to share your favorite Marriage Kids and Money episode, everybody on social media and tag us at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram or at Andy Hill MKM on Twitter or Facebook, you'll have a chance for Calvin to read your awesome social shout out and get some free merch from the store. So that would be awesome. Thanks for considering, everybody. Buy it now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Calvin and I are going to be here next month doing the same thing, sharing the good word. Calvin, thank you so much for being here, buddy.
3: And thank you.
0: In the spirit of growth and inspiration, my son Calvin is going to end the show with a quote today from Unknown.
3: Home is where love resides. Memories are created. Friends and family belong and the laughter never ends unknown
0: awesome Calvin nice reading buddy all right everybody best wishes finding your own version of home and